0: good morning um, a very warm welcome to you um, my name's Rich I'm a member of the congregation here at Christchurch uh, and we're gonna look through this passage from Mark together so let's pray shall we before we do that Father thank you for the chance to to pick up the Bible and to read your words and as we do that I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us um, Lord I pray that you'd speak through my words or that you'd speak in spite of them um, but Lord that you would meet with us that you would teach us truth you would challenge us and that you would inspire and change us. Amen. Great, well um, we are carrying on this morning going through the Gospel of Mark which we've been doing for the last few weeks Um, and we are going to carry on doing that up to and just through Easter. Um, It's a great Gospel isn't it? It's great to come back to the Gospels I always think and to be reminded of how awesome uh, Jesus is and his teaching. But it's challenging as well, isn't it? Um, This passage that we're looking at this morning um, falls pretty centrally in Mark, um, in terms of where it is in the book. But thematically, it's right at the heart of what it is that Mark is trying to say. Um, Up until this point, the, the dialogue has very much been about who is Jesus? Okay, so Mark has presented a lot of the things that Jesus has been teaching. Um, and in particular, a lot of the things that he's done, sort of miraculous things. And time and time again, people have said, who is this guy? How can someone do the things that he does? Or how can someone speak with the authority that he speaks with? Who, who is he? Is he sent from God? Is he sent from somewhere much darker? How, how does he do it? And Mark runs that question right up until this point uh, where we see that question addressed head on. Uh, by the disciples. And then from this point on there's a real shift in emphasis as the teaching then becomes much more about why has Jesus come and what happens next. Very much a kind of traje- trajectory uh, changes towards the cross and towards Jesus's suffering and resurre- um, rejection, death and resurrection. Um, and this passage that we're looking at is a kind of real hinge in terms of where that happens. Um, There's some overlap, but roughly speaking I find that quite a helpful way to think of Mark's Gospel. And this passage is really exciting in terms of bringing those two things together. Um, It's also a passage, if I'm honest, in which Jesus is very explicit. And so the intention this morning isn't really to sort of um, try and unpick it, because I think what Jesus says is really clear. Um, But we'll work through the passage together and we'll stop a couple of times to reflect on it and also to try and drill down into how it affects where we are. That's the plan anyway. Um, So let's do that. If you've got your Bible open, um, then that's good. If you haven't, I encourage you to open it again. Um, We're starting at verse 27. There's an interesting sort of synergy uh, with the passage that comes before, actually, where Mark recalls an example of where Jesus heals a blind man. Um, And that... That's a kind of metaphor for what comes next. I think it really happened, but it's a kind of picture that Mark puts there. this man who receives his sight for the first time, and now we're about to hear the disciples discovering truth about Jesus for the first time as their eyes are opened kind of metaphorically so um it's an interesting thing to flick back and see that passage, but we're not going to do that uh this morning just because of time. okay, so let's go straight in verse twenty seven Jesus takes the disciples away effectively on their own Um, and after a period of time he directs this question to them he says who do people say um, that I am verse uh, 27 and this isn't a new question in Mark as I've said time and time again Mark has been um, presenting what Jesus has done or what he said and then quite often we're told that people say who is he who is he how can someone do that where's he from And Jesus sort of sets up the disciples here and just says, what are people saying about me? And they say, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some people say you're John the Baptist, which is a bit odd because you met John the Baptist. That worked, but let's not worry about that. Um, What they don't say is there's a bunch of people who also think you're demon possessed, but he knows about them. He's already spoken to them. Um, So they give him that feedback, which presumably he already knew. But then he takes it up a notch and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Verse uh, 29. And this is the crunch point for the disciples because they've left so much behind to follow Jesus. They've left their sort of lifestyle behind, but they can always go back to it. And he's saying to them, you've seen me do amazing things. And actually, in my name, you've done amazing things. So the time has come when you've got to nail your colours to the mask. You've got to decide who I am. And Peter steps up, doesn't he? And he says, you're the Christ. Um, And at this point, I think it's helpful to pause because if if we're familiar with the Bible and, and the New Testament and the Old Testament, and I say to you, what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? You might say quite a lot of things, or I might, we might say, well, he's the son of God, he's divine, he's fully God, he's fully man, uh, he came to die, he da- came to die on the cross, he's our saviour, he was resurrected, he's going to come again, the second coming. Um, and all of those things are, are true about Jesus. They're all things that the Bible tells us are true about Jesus. But they're not associated with this term Christ. When Peter uses the term Christ, or which is Greek, the equivalent in Hebrew is Messiah, Um, He's saying something very specific and Christ literally just means anointed one but in the context that he's using it it means Israel were looking forward to um, someone that they believe was prophesied in the Old Testament um, who God had anointed to be the king over Israel, someone who was going to come and rule over Israel and sit on King David's throne and re-establish that throne So when Peter says, you're the Christ, he's talking specifically about that. He's saying, you are the anointed king. You are the one that God has chosen to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and rule over Israel. And we need to recognise, therefore, that what Peter says is actually very bold. It's brave and it's dangerous because it's deeply political. He's effectively putting himself on the side of a revolution. And so I think often we read that statement by Peter and we say, oh, finally, Peter's got it. But actually, Peter was investing a huge amount into that statement. And this, um, this uh, account comes in both in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in Matthew's gospel, we're told um, that Jesus says to him, what you've just said is not something you've worked out for yourself. My Father in heaven has given you those words. In other words, what you have just said is divine truth. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one who is promised in the Old Testament. And the reason I think Mark puts this so centrally in his gospel, in his account of Jesus, is because he wants his readers, both in, whenever it was, 60, 70 AD, right up to now, to recognise that the question that Jesus asks the disciples is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. So I just want to stop and say, if that isn't a question that you've addressed, who is Jesus? What we see in Mark's Gospel is that there is no more important question that we will ever answer. And no more important question that we have to ask. It's easy to talk about what other people say, isn't it? But Jesus ultimately looks at us and says, who do you say that I am? We have to answer that question because if the Bible is right, then Jesus is the king of the whole world, of eternity. And that changes everything as he's about to go on and explain. So if you're watching this and if you're honest, that isn't a question you've answered for yourself. I want to say there is nothing more important than you can do than to answer that question. Who is Jesus? And if you want help in answering that question, you want um, books or resources or people to talk to, then we would love um, to help you to do that. Just drop a note to the uh, church office, drop an email or give them a call. There will be no better email they get all week. Um, but there is nothing more important than we can do in our life than to answer that question for ourselves. But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? But in our passage, Peter says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, yes, that's right in Matthew. Um, and it's good, isn't it? So, and that feel good factor lasts for about 10 seconds in this passage in Mark because Jesus then shifts we're told you see in verse 31 he then began to teach them he's going to start to teach them now with an emphasis that he hasn't taught them before and the subject is about why he's here about the fact that actually he's come to suffer and to be rejected and to die and to rise back to life and he needs them to have understood who he is before he can now take them into that understanding of what he's come to do. And it will shock them as we're about to see. Because if you just reset a moment to, to think about what it was that Peter thought Jesus was, the Christ, Peter is thinking about an earthly king. And there was, people had different opinions about what the Messiah or the Christ would do. Um, But fundamentally, they believed that he would rebuild or cleanse the temple, uh, that he would defeat the enemies of God's people, as in defeat, they assumed, Israel's enemies, and that he would reign on the throne in a way that represented God. In other words, he would build a kingdom that reflected God with justice and healing in Israel, but going out to the whole of the world. And in Peter's mind, there is one very fundamental thing that has to be in place if Jesus is that Messiah. And that is, Jesus has to be alive and he has to be present. And that's why when Jesus starts saying that he's going to suffer and be rejected and die, that's a problem for Peter and that's why he takes him aside. I want you to imagine for a second that I rock up at your door tomorrow um, in a socially distanced way, or in a non-socially distanced world, we're imagining. And I say to you, oh, you and I, we're going to row the Atlantic and we're going to set a new world record. Okay? And I convince you, somehow, that that is a good idea. And I say, look, it's going to be tough, and it's going to be dangerous, and it's going to be risky. But I've got this amazing boat, and I believe that you and me, in that boat, we're going we're to break that record. And, uh, and eventually you're convinced and we go down to the harbour and we get in the boat and we bring in our supplies, we bring Red Bull and Belvitas and Milky Bar, definitely Milky Bar and, um, and we set off okay. and after a day or two um, we're out of contact now, we're out of the point where someone can help us I reach down into my bag and I pull out a, a saw and I say right the next part of my plan is that I'm gonna saw holes in the bottom of the boat to lighten it uh, so that we'll get there as quickly as possible. Now, hopefully, at that point, you will have a pretty frank conversation with me and you would say, Rich, the plan is fundamentally linked to the boat, okay? So if you start cutting holes in the boat, A, we're gonna have a problem and B, we're gonna die. I would like to think you would have that conversation with me anyway. Um, That is what Peter is about to do. Peter's understanding of who the Christ is is totally incompatible with Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be killed. Even though he then goes on to say, I'm going to rise back to life. And Peter takes him aside and we're told that he rebukes him. And Jesus' words for Peter are so harsh. Having said to him, we're told in Matthew's Gospel previously, you've been given words directly from God. Now he says to him, the words you're speaking are from Satan. And note what he says. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And at this point, he calls the crowds back in to hear what he's about to say. And what's going to start to happen now is that, and it actually it's already been happening if you look in the teaching, what Jesus is starting to do through his teaching is to redefine in people's minds what the Christ will really do, what the kingdom of God will really look like, because they've developed a, a preconception in their head that it's all about the earthly nation of Israel. But the reality is that God's plan is so much greater. But it means that Jesus' cause, his plan, has to be so much more radical. And when he talks in this passage, he uses the term son of man and he uses kingdom of God. And these are are terms from the Old Testament. In fact, you'll recognise them if you were around for our Daniel series. When God promises an everlasting kingdom and he talks about the son of man and he talks about it being established, a throne that's established forever. And Jesus is using that terminology very intentionally and saying, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. But if you're looking for an earthly kingdom, then you're looking in the wrong place. And what he's going to go on to show through his teaching is that, yes, he's here to rebuild and to cleanse the temple, the place where we can meet with God. But the temple he's talking about is not a building, it's his body. He's going to die on the cross and then he's going to rebuild it as he's raised back to life. And in doing that, we can really meet with God, back in relationship with him, as we're forgiven for our sins when we come to him in repentance. And yes, he is going to defeat the enemies of God's people. But it's not Herod or the Romans or anyone else who's going to come and occupy Israel. It's sin and death and the devil. And he is going to establish a kingdom founded on justice and healing and restoration and mercy and grace and righteousness, like the Old Testament has said. But it's not a kingdom of earthly borders. It's an eternal throne. And they're going to see that kingdom come in power when he dies on the cross and the Holy Spirit is poured out. That's the reference at the start of chapter 9. But ultimately that kingdom is going to be brought into fruition when he comes in glory. And what Jesus is saying to Peter and the disciples and the crowds is, and remember Peter's concern is that he's going to end up on the wrong side of a revolution. He's going to end up as a revolutionary watching his leader die. And that doesn't end very well for the revolutionists. Jesus is saying you're concerned about being on the wrong side of a revolution, but actually your problem is you're going to end up in the wrong kingdom. Your concern, your preconception about who I am is focused on this earth. But I am here to build an eternal throne that is so much greater. And Peter has a choice, and we have a choice he can focus on what is around him and look for restoration in in the immediate or he can follow jesus to in building a kingdom that is eternal and that is true and that is god's true kingdom and that path is harder and it will mean leaving behind the realities of so it will mean leaving behind the things of this life that he's clinging to And Jesus is saying, you've got to carry your cross in the same way that I'm going to carry my cross. You've got to put that life to death because I need you to be all in because I'm all in. And it is a path that for us too will mean suffering and it will mean rejection from people around us. And it could mean death. But oh my word, what a kingdom it is to be part of. What a king we have. And what a what a privilege to be a part of building God's kingdom on earth. As we see the lost found, as we see the broken made whole, as we see those in bondage to sin set free, as they come into relationship with Jesus Christ, and as we bring his principles of justice and mercy and grace to this earth and ultimately will be with him forever in heaven. And the challenge to us particularly I think if we're Christians then, is the same challenge that Jesus gives to Peter and to the crowds. Will you follow me? Will you go all in? Will you do the hard things to follow me into this place? Because I'm going to go through suffering and rejection to make it possible. And the challenge for me, just as as we finish, is that if I'm honest, and I'm sure this is true for all of us who follow Jesus, there are parts of us that are all in, if you like, if that's possible. There are things from our old life, there are things that we cling to that are the material world or that are focused on success now rather than the things that God wants. And that may be as simple as um, you know the way we treat people, the way we talk about people when they're not around. It may be how we use our money or our possessions or our gifts. It may be about saying, I don't want to talk to people about Jesus because I'll be rejected, I'll suffer. Jesus is saying, This is the path I'm going to go. And if you wanna be a part of building the most amazing kingdom, but the true eternal kingdom, if you wanna be with me until the end, follow me. It's an amazing call. It's a huge call. And it makes no sense, unless Jesus is the Christ, unless he is the one that God has anointed. Because if that's true, then he is the means by which we will be restored into relationship with God for what we were made. And he is the means by which we have the privilege of being part of building the kingdom of God. We're going to close. Um, sorry, I'm going to stop now. Um, just as we do, I'm just, I'd just love us to spend a minute um, just in sort of quiet or in prayer. Um, and I want to just a couple of ways we can do that the first i want to go back to if you're if you haven't made a decision yet about who you think jesus is if you're not sure then i want to suggest to you that this is an opportunity to resolve to answer that question and it may be that you want to pray to him and say if you're out there i need help to see you or it may be that you want to say at this point i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to research i'm going to find out who jesus was and i'm going to make that call and secondly if you are a Christian let's be honest we all have parts of our life that we haven't nailed to the cross we all have parts of our life where we're living for ourselves like Peter was living for Peter wanted his version of the Christ rather than following Jesus where he wanted us to go I want to encourage you to hold those things out before God and to give them back to him or it may be that you know there's somewhere somewhere or something that he's calling you to And you want to say to him, do you know what, I'm scared and I'm worried, but I'm going to follow you. Um, Let's just have a moment of quiet and then I'll close with a prayer. Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one. You are the eternal God. Lord, thank you that you suffered, that you were rejected, that you died and that you rose again to build the eternal kingdom of God. And thank you that you invite us in. And Lord, take our failings, forgive us, heal us, restore us and gift us that we can follow you in fullness and in truth, leaving everything else behind. Amen.